Thanks again all for coming today. I'm pleased to uh, introduce our lunch speaker. The thing I don't like about Representative Justin Amash is that he is younger than me, but obviously massively more successful and influential. It's getting to be more and more true as I age of more and more people. It's hard to complain about the influence that Representative Amash has had since he arrived in Congress in 2011. He came, to, he came to my attention first because of his commitment to transparency. Uh, his practice of posting in the State House and now in, in Congress, posting explanations for his votes on Facebook. I went and looked at his Facebook page again last night uh, to discover that there can be too much transparency. He's proposed that Congress should reform itself so that the legislation it considers is re readable by ordinary people. The legislation today is in a cut-and-bite format that makes it impossible to understand as a layperson what Congress is trying to do in the bills that are introduced. Um, making the legislation and amendments harder to read is one of the reasons that power continues to accrue in Washington, D.C., even though we are supposed to be a federal republic and a democracy. Of course, Representative Amash is most famous for his leadership on the issue of NSA surveillance. In July, the Amash-Conyers Amendment came within a few votes of defunding the government's mass surveillance of telephone calling information. It's very interesting to see which Michigan representatives Mr. Amash gets along with and which Michigan representatives he may not get along with quite so well. The vote on the Amash-Conyers Amendment was an astounding result and it signaled that this issue is not one that's going away. Part of the reason it's not going away is because of his continued persistence on the issue which he demonstrates by appearing with us here today. Please welcome Representative Justin Amash. Thanks so much, Jim, and uh, thanks to Cato. Uh, they thought it was appropriate after having a few highbrow segments to have at least one lowbrow segment here in the middle of the day. So I want to uh, thank you all for having me here today. Uh, You've, this is an amazing conference. I mean, we've had uh, Ron Wyden here. Uh, we're going to have uh, Jim Sensenbrenner uh, later in the day. Uh, Ron Wyden is uh, a person who uh, I've really grown to admire because uh, he serves in, in some sense as a congressional whistleblower. Uh, he's a person who is, in some sense, uh, letting us know what's going on uh, through some of his questions, through some of the clues. And uh, he really got us to the point where we could do something like the Amash Amendment and get a lot of support. Uh, Jim Sensenbrenner is one of the key authors of the Patriot Act. And he's someone I came to know during this process. I, I came to develop a better uh, relationship with. And um, it, he was genuinely astonished by what was going on uh, by the NSA. And uh, I remember uh, going to his office and uh, asking him for support on my amendment. And uh, I thought I was going to have to really pitch it hard. But I walked into his office and he said, I'm going to support your amendment. And then he uh, proceeded to uh, talk to me for about 20 to 30 minutes about why my amendment was important. 
And uh, coming from someone who is a, a key author of the Patriot Act, I think that's really significant. Um, he, when, we, when we brought that amendment to the floor, uh, he initially wasn't planning to speak on it. But actually, on the day of the vote, he came to me and he said, you know, I really need to speak on your amendment. I'd really like to do that. So I immediately shuffled him to the front of the line. We had a long list of people who wanted to speak on that amendment. And we moved him to the front. Uh, it was obviously going to go, I was going to speak first. It was my amendment. Uh, John Conyers, the ranking uh, Democrat on judiciary, was going to speak second because we we brought the amendment together. We're working our, our uh, mutual sides of the aisle. But uh, I had to have uh, Jim Sensenbrenner uh, speak next. And, and boy, did he make an impact. I think he helped us uh, get quite a few people at the end there. And we came just short. Uh, we've had amazing reporting done on this issue, so I, I want to say thank you to the reporters out there who have covered this. We've uh, especially had um, fantastic reporting from The Guardian. They've done tremendous work on this. Uh, we've also had uh, fantastic reporting from another of a uh, number of other sources, uh, Washington Post, New York Times. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of reporters out there who have done fantastic work. And we've had uh, law and technology experts who have spoken up, who have fought on this issue, have made a big impact. I know some of you are here today. Um, and that's been wonderful. And uh, another organization that I've, I've worked with on a number of issues, um, which is sometimes hard for people to believe because I'm a conservative Republican, but uh, the ACLU. The ACLU has done fantastic work on this. And uh, I've been proud to fight uh, on their side on a number of issues, but this is, um, this is something that's critically important. It's something I'm, I'm uh, probably most proud uh, to work with them on. So when you look at the um, Patriot Act, you have to understand uh, how, how it works, okay? So it was allowing the federal government to collect tangible things that are relevant to an investigation. So uh, there are lots of problems with the Patriot Act. I voted against the Patriot Act. But what we discovered during this whole NSA controversy was that this was one of the biggest problems. That the secret FISA court, which is almost completely unaccountable, has very little oversight, was interpreting the word relevant to mean basically everything. So instead of collecting tangible things on people who are uh, actually under suspicion, they were collecting the phone records and as we learned the email records of every person in the country. Which of course is uh, an astonishing expansion of the word relevance. And that's how we got to the Amash Amendment. We said, look, we want to return this standard back to the way Section 215 was supposed to be interpreted. And that's why I had people like uh, Jim Sensenbrenner uh, on board with it. And all my amendment did was require that there be a reasonable collection, a reasonable connection between the documents collected and the person under suspicion. So uh, it would have eliminated the bulk collection of these records. Now, what do we, we have intelligence committees in Congress. 
And these intelligence committees were formed to provide oversight of the executive branch. That's why the intelligence committees are there. They're actually supposed to be Congress's oversight of the executive branch. They were uh, created in the 1970s. They're supposed to be a check on the surveillance state. And uh, what we found in practice is that actually they've been working hand in hand with the executive branch. Time and again, the intelligence committees have not been the friends of Congress, but the opponents of Congress. And when we've had uh, secret actions being undertaken by this administration or the previous administration, you've had the intelligence committees essentially covering up for the administration. And there are a lot of examples uh, that I can describe in which the intelligence committees tried to uh, really hinder Congress's work. When you look back at um, 2011, I had just got into Congress, and uh, we were going to have a vote on the reauthorization of the Patriot Act. And the administration decided, we've, we've come to learn because these documents were declassified, the administration decided that it wanted to provide a document to all members of Congress about uh, the outlines of these surveillance programs, the uh, email program and the phone records program. Just an outline, it wouldn't have given you enough information to really understand what was going on, but it would have at least uh, brought the issue to people's attention. And so the administration said, this is the Obama administration said, intelligence committees, we're providing you th this document so that you can share it with members of Congress so they'll have a better understanding of what we're doing. Now the Senate Intelligence Committee, to, our, to the best of our knowledge, based on all the documents and evidence we've seen, did share that information with senators. But the House Intelligence Committee decided that it wasn't worthwhile to share this information with members of Congress. Now, what they'll tell you is, and I've heard this repeatedly from the House Intelligence Committee, well, members have an opportunity to come in and we have classified briefings and they can come in and ask questions and uh, their questions will be answered and we think that's a better way to share information. Well, of course, if you've ever been to one of these classified briefings, which I know none of you have, but I have, you'll find that it's just a game of 20 questions. So you go into the classified briefing and you're not really provided any information in the intro. So you have people come in and they might speak to you. They might be from the administration. They might be from the intelligence committee. They'll come speak to you about uh, the, the topic of the Patriot Act, for example, or uh, the um, FISA uh, Amendments Act. And they'll come speak to you about this topic. And uh, then they'll say, any questions? And they're speaking about it in generalities. They're speaking about these topics in the way that you might already know about them from the newspaper or in the way that any ordinary person might already know about. There's no, there's, no, there's no real information provided. At times you'll learn uh, something that, is, uh, that the public doesn't know about that's frankly not that surprising. But you're certainly not learning anything that, is, that seems out of the ordinary given the laws we have on the books. So 
you don't know what questions to ask because you don't know you don't know what uh, what the baseline is. You don't have any any idea what kind of things are going on. You have to start just spitting out random questions. Uh, does the does the government have a moon base? Does does the government have a talking bear? Does the government have a cyborg army? If if you don't know what kind of things the government might have, you just have to guess. And it, it becomes a, a totally ridiculous game of 20 questions. If you ask something in slightly the wrong way, they will tell you no. They'll say, no, we don't do that. Or no, that agency doesn't do that. Maybe another agency does it, but they're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you no, uh, you know, this agency doesn't do it, but this other agency does it. Or no, we can't do that under this program, but we can do it under this program. They don't tell you that information. They'll just tell you, no, we can't do that. Or no, it doesn't happen under that program. Well, you don't know what the other programs are. So what are you going to ask about? So it becomes a, a, a ridiculous game of 20 questions. And I've, I had one colleague, for example, who went from briefing to briefing asking variations of the same question. So he'd go to one briefing and he'd ask the question, they'd say no. He'd go to another briefing, ask, uh, ask the question with a slight change. You know, maybe the subject changed a little bit or the object in the sentence. They'd say no. Uh, by the time he got to like the third or fourth briefing, he'd figured out how to ask it the right way. And uh, in that case, then they say, oh, yeah, you caught us. Yeah, we do do that. And uh, I remember uh, one particular briefing where that happened, and, and uh, okay, he, he caught them. Then he said, well, do you have some documentation on this that we could take a look at? They said, oh, we'll run it up the chain. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can give that to you. And we said, okay, maybe they'll provide this to us so we can find out more about this, uh, this topic. Well, I, asked, I went back to my office and I said to my staff, you know, sounds like the Intelligence Committee might share something with us. Um, be on the lookout for uh, an email or something to alert us to when we can go uh, take a look at this um, this document that they want to share with us. And uh, we get nothing through our email system. There's no normally, our normal emails, you know, if, if the Intelligence Committee or anyone in Congress wants to share something with us, you know, come down to have a briefing on any topic, whether it's intelligence or armed services or any other committee, they'd send you an email to your normal house email. So I personally would get an email saying, there's a briefing tomorrow, come check it out. That's the ordinary course of business if they really want to share something with you. And um, we got nothing like that. I didn't see anything in my email. Then at some point in the afternoon, one of my staff members says to me, hey, we got this strange thing through the dear colleague system. Now the dear colleague, there's a dear colleague system in Congress where uh, members used to write each other letters, dear colleague letters, where they'd say, you know, they'd, they'd hand them office to office. And um, it'd say, like, please sign my bill, you know, co-sponsor my bill or sign my letter. Well, now it's all done electronically. And there's a, a dear colleague uh, sort of electronic system. And uh, frankly, it's, it's almost like a spam box. There's, because everybody, you know, there's 
435 members in the house, and everyone's got an idea or a letter. So it really fills up. It's almost impossible to notice anything in there. Um, it's, it's almost always by accident that you notice something interesting in there. So, uh, but one of my staffers who was uh, being very thoughtful about this, I, I said, please be careful and look out for this, found an invitation to take a look at this document in the Dear Colleague system. So not through the normal email system, not through an email to all members of Congress or all House members come and view this, but through the Dear Colleague letter system. So uh, this was in the afternoon on the day before we were all scheduled to um, fly out of town. We had votes the next morning and then we were gonna, people were leaving uh, town to go back to their districts. And uh, the letter said, uh, there is a document that the uh, Intelligence Committee wants to share with you and it will be available for your member to view between 9 a.m. and noon tomorrow. 9 a.m. and noon. And this was around the same time we were going to have votes and then we were going to leave town. So people were all ready to go on their flights and, and all the rest. Not exactly the most ideal um, situation. Well, I, I go back to the um, House floor and uh, I say to my colleagues, did you, did you um, see this invitation to check out this document? They're like, what are you talking about? We didn't, there's no invitation, nobody sent anything. I said, yeah, we found it, we found something. So on the morning uh, that, that, that they're having this briefing, I say to my colleagues, hey, um, why don't you come down with me to this briefing room? They're like, whatever you say, um, you know, they didn't, they hadn't seen it. I said, trust me, there's this, there's a briefing going on. They said, okay, we'll go down with you. I go down to the briefing room and the members who are in the briefing room are just the members that I talked to. Nobody else was in there because nobody else had seen the invitation to come view this document. And we had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which prevents us from talking about the document with any of our colleagues. So a handful of us saw this document, we got to read it, and we're not even allowed to talk to any of our colleagues, who all have, they all have top secret clearance, but we can't talk to any of our colleagues about this. And that's it, that's the last that's been heard of. And this is the kind of stuff that's going on in our government right now in terms of oversight. There's very little oversight. The intelligence committees have become, uh, they're, they're basically working with the executive branch against the interests of Congress. And uh, I think we have a, a real problem that we need to address here so that members of Congress have a real oversight. And um, that's why I, I know Jim Sensenbrenner is coming later today. He is working on legislation that I think will uh, get us to a much better place. It's, a, it's, a, it's not the end point of where we need to be, but it's a great start. And, uh, and with that, I want to just open it up to questions, and thank you again for having me here. Yeah, okay. Yes? Go ahead. So, 
Well, I, I, would, um, I would say this about committees in general. People are placed onto committees because they will agree with the chairman of the committee. And I think that is a real problem. That's a serious problem. There's not enough diversity of opinion in Congress. So if you're placed on the Intelligence Committee, it's very likely that you're placed there because you're going to agree with what's going on on the Intelligence Committee. Now, you have, you have exceptions like Senator Wyden, but, um, but that's pretty rare. That's not normal. Well, in, in, I don't know all the facts about that, but I would say, uh, for example, you have um, the NSA headquarters is in the um, district of the ranking member of intelligence. So yeah, you've, that kind of stuff does go on. Go ahead. Uh, Senator Wyden uh, mentioned this morning about being lied to, although I don't think he used that word. And the um, the panel of journalists also spoke about the lies from the government. And so my question is, as a member of Congress, um, how can you hold accountable when you get lied to? And um, I mean, I, I think these people who come in, particularly when they come in lies specifically to Congress, there ought to be some penalty for that. Yeah, and, and that's, I agree with you, there, that's going to take public pressure. Um, at the end of the day, the public makes that kind of thing happen, more so than members of Congress. I can put all the pressure on the, in the world on them to um, go after someone who's lying to Congress, uh, for example, some executive uh, uh, branch uh, official, but they won't do it unless they think the public is really behind it. Um, uh, for example, uh, Director Clapper very clearly lied to Congress. And I have said many times that he should step down, he should resign, he should be prosecuted for lying. Uh, we can't have uh, those kind of uh, actions happening in Congress and, and find it acceptable. If you're going to say that the Director of National Intelligence can come to Congress and just lie to Congress and the American people, uh, we have lost uh, all moral authority as a Congress. Sir, I, uh, my name is Samar Chatterjee. You made a very interesting point. You described to us the process. Now, almost uh, five or six years ago when Nancy Pelosi was interviewed and she said, they all come and lie to us. And there was a huge uproar, <coughs> cornering her, making her apologize too. So is this a process you want to keep? I'm sorry, I, I didn't quite catch the question. Is, is this a process where the administration wants to do arbitrary things and not yep. want to brief Congress, really? Like you said, they come in the room and 
yeah. make you ask 20 questions. And this is a it's strategy KGV used with their people too. So are we in the same process and do you want to keep this process? I think the process is broken and the, the, the problem is the oversight. It's not surprising to me that the administration uh, wants to try to hide this stuff. That's really not that surprising. Um, you know, they have an incentive to try to hide it. They don't want the public to know about this stuff. They don't want Congress to know about it. They'd rather do what they, they do uh, behind closed doors. The, the problem is the intelligence committees are supposed to oversee the executive branch. They are supposed to represent Congress and the people. They're supposed to make sure that the executive branch is not acting in ways that violate the law. But instead of doing that, they're actually working with the executive branch to hide things from Congress, to hide things from the American people. The, the real problem is with the overall process, though. We, that kind of agreement would have less meaning if they actually wanted to do oversight and involve members of Congress and wanted to make it transparent. If they really wanted members of Congress to be at that briefing, then you wouldn't need, the, the non-disclosure agreement wouldn't really mean that much. Because at least you know that your colleagues have had the opportunity to, uh, to review the document. Thank you for your leadership on this issue. Thanks. Um, one thing I've learned after being in Washington in about 25 years is that when something's complex, the people who know it best can game the system. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that even a fixed intelligence committee may never really be able to do the job. And I would submit that what we need are big, simple, tough, clear laws that say you can do this, you can't do that, rather than really complex things. And I would urge you to, to consider that as a general approach yep. that might be more useful in the long term. Yeah, and the laws are definitely broken. I mean, the, um, the Patriot Act, the, especially the way it's being applied, is broken. Um, there are many ways to change the laws, but uh, we also need a better intelligence uh, committee process. And, uh, one of the things they do now, for example, is if, if we want to read a um, classified um, secret court opinion, uh, we can't get it. So uh, think about it this way. The Congress writes the Patriot Act. We write the word, and I wasn't there when they wrote it. I didn't vote, I didn't vote on reauthorization, to be clear. But Congress writes the Patriot Act. They write the word relevant into the Patriot Act, and then a secret court, an unaccountable secret court, says, okay, we're gonna interpret relevant in a way that is totally alien to Congress, that is not at all what they intended, and then Congress can't find out that that's how we're interpreting it. They're not allowed to. The chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the House and Senate can find out about it, you might have other Intelligence Committee members who find out about it. But if they want to keep other members of Congress in the dark, they can do so. And that is really dangerous. Because 
every member of Congress, every House member represents 700,000 people. And it's my duty to have that information so I can properly represent my constituents. It's not acceptable for one committee to control the whole process or one person to control the whole process. The, uh, they, they act like the Intelligence Committee is one of the branches of government, and it's not. We have a whole Congress that has to do, have oversight and has to deal with our laws, not just one committee. Yeah, go ahead. Lopez, RTTV. Senator Wyden earlier today talked about uh, possible extra whistleblower protections. I was wondering if you could comment on Edward Snowden and also some type of whistleblower protections that you're looking for. Well, I would say uh, as a general matter, and I didn't hear all of uh, Senator Wyden's comments, but I would say as a general matter, there are not proper channels for people to uh, come to Congress and, and blow the whistle. Um, basically, if you believe that something is going on that is unconstitutional, for example, if you're an NSA employee or contractor and you think something is going on that is breaking the law, the, you can go to your supervisors, you can find a way to um, go to the intelligence committee, but as I've said, that doesn't really provide you any relief. The intelligence committee is working with your supervisors, is working with your executive branch, all trying to hide stuff from Congress and the American people. So why would they help you out? You need a way for a whistleblower to be able to go to people who are not part of the system that's actually trying to keep things from everyone. Yes. So it seems to me a lot of this can be solved by having uh, technical people with appropriate clearances on your staff. What are the chances of, of getting advisors that work for Congress that have enough clearance to, to read all the documents, not just the things that are handed piecemeal? It's possible. You could have, uh, they have to go through a, a, a background process, and it, it can take, I think, more than a year to have it happen. So in the case of this, it's not that easy to just suddenly have uh, members of your staff who will go through that. But also, you have to remember that in Congress, uh, staff uh, very often, and, and maybe the public is not generally aware of this, staff don't stay around that long. In some offices, staff will stay around for a while, but in many offices, staff are coming and going. You might have a staff person for a year, then they move to another office, or they move to another job. And um, in, in DC, that's pretty typical. So it's a lot of investment for someone to say, hey, I'm gonna go through this whole process and get the clearance, and then uh, I'm, I don't know if I'll ever need to use it. So it, doesn't ha it just doesn't happen that often. And I don't, I don't know the extent, um, for example, uh, I think on the Intelligence Committee that the staff that are allowed in the room are only Intelligence Committee staff. I don't think even Intelligence Committee members can bring their own staff, even the members of the Intelligence Committee. Yeah, so, so there's again a, a co-opting of, of your own staff. So what would you have done, what could you do for a, uh, a Snowden that comes to you and asks for help? What could I do? Like secretly, a new whistleblower comes to you personally, oh, stops uh, you after a press conference or meeting, one of your meetings in Congress, says, Congressman, 
what can you do for me? I'm a whistleblower. Yeah. I want to tell this stuff. Under current law, I can't do anything for someone like that. This is, uh, I've seen this myth, uh, you know, spread throughout the media that uh, whistleblowers, like an NSA whistleblower, can come to a member of Congress. That's not true. If, uh, if a whistleblower came to me and told me the stuff that uh, they might tell media or anyone else, they'd be in violation of the law, and uh, it probably caused me some trouble too. So I, you know, it, it, there's no, there's no protection uh, right now, really, for people who want to blow the whistle. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I've missed anyone here. Thank you, Andrew Hopkins, George Mason, yeah. Students for Liberty. So I wanted to ask, um, Judge Egan in her uh, FISA court order of August, she analogized the Secure Communications Act to Section 215. Um, she, she commented that there was a specific and articulable fact requirement in the Stored Communications Act. There was also a relevant and material language in the Stored Communications Act. This is for seeking non-content related records for criminal investigations. Since that language was not present in Section 215, Judge Egan said, therefore it's a lower standard that has to be met for these kinds of uh, requests for orders production. Would you comment on that? Well, I would, the, the one comment I would give is that as we are, are working on reforms to Section 215, whether through the Liberty Act that uh, Rep Conyers and I worked on or uh, Sensenbrenner's bill that I'm also a part of, um, we are looking to uh, make sure that the standard is as uh, strong and clear as possible. Sure, I don't know if he's been waiting the longest. Carla Howell, Libertarian Party. Thank you also for everything you've done. What forms or types of public pressure do you think would be most likely to result in change, in meaningful reform or even repeal of some of these laws? I, I think phone calls. People may find this strange, but phone calls are very effective. They're much more effective than the public generally understands them to be. I, I would not suggest emails. I would not suggest um, you know, some of the other forms of pro protest, but make a lot of phone calls. I mean, you're, you're welcome to protest in any way you want, but, <laughs> but make a lot of phone calls. Um, when you look at issues like uh, Syria, they were, they were set to go to war. It was a done deal. They were going to war. What turned them around was not people like Justin Amash saying, no, this is a bad idea. It was that the public got engaged. The public really uh, started going out of their way saying, we don't want this. They made phone calls to their members' offices. I'll tell you that when I'm on the House floor and we're talking about an issue, and uh, maybe I'm trying to uh, persuade my colleagues to, uh, to vote in a certain way. I say, look, we, this is the right vote on this bill. They'll very often talk about how many phone calls they've received in their office on that issue. How are the phone calls going? Oh, well, we haven't gotten many phone calls on this one. Oh, on this other issue, the phone calls are going 100 to 1 um, against. Or in the Syria, for example, how many of you, you saw all of these representatives and senators, they were touting on Twitter and elsewhere. Our phone calls are coming in, you know, 500 to 1 against the Syria war. They knew how to vote when that was, <laughs> when it was coming in like that. 
There are not many members of Congress who see a, a, you know, phone calls coming in 100 to 1 against something or 500 to 1 against or 4 or whatever who don't realize that uh, they better pay some attention to what's going on back home. So uh, I think it's really important. I think it's critically important on issues like this where it's um, surveillance. Surveillance is something that certainly affects everyone in the country in a very serious way. Wars obviously affect everyone in a very serious way. On these kind of issues especially, you can make a lot of headway by making phone calls. So I want to thank everyone for having me here today. Thanks. <laughs>